Thank you so much for talking to me, David Sirota. My pleasure. Uh, I thought maybe we could start off by, you know, it's uh, Monday, so we should probably coordinate our, our smears and talking points for the week. Yes, of course. We need to we need to um, make sure that the the talking points go out to the entire vast media cabal. Exactly. That is that. Uh, apparently Bernie Sanders is running to control the entire world. Right. We're, I really like that we're bringing back the whole Jews running the media narrative because uh, it's it's been too long. Hello. Welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. You can hear the Katie Halper Show on iTunes, and once you're there, please rate and review us. It takes about a minute, and it really helps get the word out about the show. You can also find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. I'm KT Halps. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. My co-host Gabe Pacheco is Gabe underscore Pacheco. Use the hashtag KT Halps Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the KT Halper Show, where you will find bonus interviews and extended interviews. Coming up is a bonus interview with none other than Glenn Greenwald. Also, we released a great bonus interview with Naomi Klein, and you'll have access to an extended interview with our guests for today's show, David Sirota. So on today's show, I speak to David Sirota, an award-winning journalist and best-selling author living in Denver, Colorado. He's an investigative reporter for the nonprofit Capital and Maine, and he's a columnist at The Guardian. Um, I mean, I have a question yes, for you on that. Sure. Do, do you think the whole... I mean, I, I go back and forth. I'm Jewish, and, and, and I go back and forth no. on whether the whole Bernie – Bernie's controlling the media, has a secret plan to manipulate the media thing. Right. Whether that's, like, deliberate anti-Semitism, Accident, it's not anti-Semitism. Right. Or, like, something Is in between. Accidental? Yeah, exactly. So I think that – it's so funny. I'm one of these Jews who's, like – I feel like I've spent I I'm usually when when anti-Semitism is in the conversation I'm I'm usually and I'm sure you are too the person who's like no that's not anti-Semitic that's valid criticism of Israel that someone like Alan Dershowitz is calling anti-Semitic so it's a weird thing with Trump in office um that's become you know like I, I mean I just remember when he didn't his people didn't mention the Holocaust no it didn't mention Jews or Nazis on Holocaust Remembrance Day. It was a very kind of generalized, uh, like, never again thing. And it was weird because I remember being like, oh, that's kind of problematic and anti-Semitic to omit Jews. And again, that's the opposite. I'm usually the person who's like, let's expand the Holocaust discussion so it's not just never again to Jews in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, when it comes to this this Bernie I, mythology yeah. out here, I, I I feel like I don't think the people who are putting it out there are like would think of themselves as anti-Semitic right. or you know would um are are necessarily trying to be right. anti-Semitic, but or even would say consciously Jews control the media or something. Correct. Right. But I also think at some level. They know that that is a storyline mm. that people are huh. uh, 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 accustomed to hearing, right. 
it, it's a, it's it an archetypal right. story. Right. Exactly. So it's like we tell different stories. Like you know, the, what's the was it the Joseph Campbell thing? The man of a thousand right. yeah. faces. There's only like a couple of stories that we tell. Right. right. Like these sort of core stories, and every movie is one of these stories. Right. Basically, the myth, yeah. I think like yeah, I think like Jews have a secret cabal to control the world is a kind of archetypal story that right. is out there. Thanks for giving and all, away our secret, David. <laughs> true, true. Us, yeah. and, and and that when these people put put oh you know Jewish senator is uh, has developed a cabal to a media cabal to control the narrative. Right. I don't think people are being anti-Semitic by I don't think they mean to be anti-Semitic, right. but I think they have to know that they're tapping right, into true. that archetypal story. Right. Well, so what I was doing in my very Jewish discursive indirect um, <laughs> parable response before was I forgot to to go back to your question, which was that I think that like it, what I meant is that. It's weird because I actually do think things are anti-Semitic, and and it's I I'll sometimes I'll check because I'm such a like I'm so loath to be one of those Jews who sees anti-Semitism where it's not that I'll, I have like some non-Jewish friends I ask just to make sure who always right. see anti-Semitism before I do, which is kind of funny. But I do think you know what I think is really anti-Semitic, and there are a couple of levels of it, as you said. It could just be unconscious. It could be deliberate it could be deliberate but they don't really believe it but they're using it for strategic reasons which is kind of i think actually what trump does with anti-semitism i don't think he's particularly anti-semitic but i think he likes to signal you know dog whistle but i think that the cheat the narrative of cheap and free stuff that people often use against sanders is very anti-semitic either intentionally or unintentionally and of course the big thing is that the very people who do that if something as close to misogyny as this is close to anti-Semitism were ever said against Hillary Clinton, it would be a huge story. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And actually, I would say it's it's closer, it's more anti-Semitic than lots of things that are called misogynist that, that are said about Hillary. So there's definitely a hypocrisy, like when people say things that are anti-Semitic adjacent to be charitable. Yeah, I think I think that's that's right. Anti-Semitic adjacent yeah. is, the, is the right, right? Yeah. is the right term for it. I mean, it's also let's let's go to the facts for a second. Yeah. It's also insane, right? Oh, I mean, right, right, right. Besides the besides the the problematic nature of it. Um, but you know what else? Really quickly before, like, do you remember when? And this is so. I'm so glad to be talking to you about media bias stuff because oh, it's so frustrating. But do you remember when Yamichi Alcindor asked him? She did that very um, clever thing. What do you say to some people who say there's some people saying that it's sexist of you not to drop out and, and bernie yeah. was like very charitably he was like is that a serious question <laughs> um but uh and and she was like yeah because she was like you're standing in the way of the first female president and i want to be like well is it anti-semitic of hillary to stand in the way of the first jewish president I mean, that's a like, I mean, I guess if you're going to ask, yeah. if that's the frame of those questions, exactly. which which we can both acknowledge both of those questions are ridiculous. Right. No, it's not anti-Semitic for Hillary right. Clinton to run for president against another Jewish, can, a, a Jewish right. candidate. Right, nor is it sexist it, for Sanders to run against a woman. I mean, but but you're right. It's like one one kind of question is okay, another right. kind of question is not okay. There is a fundamental um, hypocrisy right. there. Yeah, and double standard, and, yeah, and, big time, yeah. And, and I think I think that double standard comes from, I mean, look, when we step back and we ask these questions, why is there a double standard for people like Bernie Sanders? Right. My answer to this is, and this is not a defense of anything about Bernie, this is just a straight my objective view of the situation on the facts, right. not making a value judgment sure. of it, right, which right, is right. that 
The establishment media and the establishment wing of the Democratic Party is fundamentally threatened by Bernie Sanders' agenda. Yeah. They don't like his agenda. They don't that and for for a couple of reasons. One, his agenda is built on challenging corporate power and wealth. Yeah. Uh, that is corporate power and wealth that the establishment media and the establishment wing of the Democratic Party is built upon. It is their foundation. And there's a second tier of this which is that especially within the Democratic Party circles that Bernie Sanders also beyond his ideology, he also poses a fundamental threat to the career networks and relationships yeah. of people in the establishment themselves. In other words, if you're at a think tank, and you're let's use Neera Tandon because everybody knows her, but I, I'm not do, saying this to pick on her, but if you're Neera okay, Tandon and your entire... So yeah, right. If you're Neera Tandon and your entire career has been built on the Clinton network, you were a Hillary Clinton's top aide, you are at a Clinton think tank that is basically funded by, uh, in part, uh, Clinton esque and Clinton supporting donors, a Bernie Sanders presidency, or by the way, a presidency from somebody similarly outside of that system, sure. doesn't even matter that it's Bernie, that pre a presidency like that would basically destroy your relevance and basically your career because your career is based on leveraging your relationships in the current system as it is now. So Sanders, right. his ideology threatens them, right? but also his, his whole, where he, he exists in politics is a threat to the literal careers and livelihood of people who make their careers and livelihood on the relationships tied to the current establishment of the Democratic Party that is, if not in power, then is at least in power and running the party. Right. You know, another thing that's related to that, I think, is the um, he really does go back to the issues. You know, whenever things are brought up, even with Hillary's emails, and this actually angered some people, and that's like we can talk, I mean, that's a different issue, but, you know, he's like, enough about the goddamn emails. He really doesn't like these media fabricated stories um, these like, you know, clickbaity stories or narratives. He really does want to bring it back to things that aren't as, as like stupid or, or sexy, quote unquote, right? So he wants to talk about inequality as opposed to like what someone said or what someone wore or um, like a fight or a tweet that or something like a, or something that was leaked. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the funniest part about the narrative around, around Sanders is when people say, "Oh, he's a cult of personality," and right. you know, uh, all due respect to to, to Bernie, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, he, he he, you wouldn't go out there and say that Bernie Sanders is like the most charismatic yeah. politician, big charmer, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just he's just not. He does I have mean, an I anti. I always say he has like an anti charisma charisma, which is sure. that I think people really sense that he's genuine and authentic. But yes, he's not. I yeah. He's not a cult of personality. No. And I think there was a reporter at the at the New Yorker who tweeted out something that made a really interesting point. They said, you know, there's all of this um, uh, hype and 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 excitement and and uh, I, I guess at some level some loyalty to Beto O'Rourke. And I'm not using him to pick on him, but the latest, you know, people yeah. say he's got great charisma, star power, and the like. It's the, the support is not doesn't seem to be based on any particular issue position right. at all. And this New Yorker reporter basically said, you know, it's, that's different from Bernie who like, if Bernie 
suddenly tomorrow said, look, I'm against Medicare for all. Like all of his supporters would be gone. Goodbye. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the support is, for is Bernie based. Sanders yeah. is completely it, it's the opposite of cult of personality. I would argue that if it's anything, it's a if you want to call it a cult, it's a cult of like issue positions. Right. Cult of issues, cult of politics, policy. Um, exactly. I mean, I also think there's a really strong in a good way morality um, and it's very simple and it's really based in a right and right or wrong. But without this meritocracy BS, which it's funny, we I, we had Liza Featherstone on and we were going over some of the Hillary Clinton slogans, um, potential slogans. And so many of them were about a fair shot, like a, a fair fight. Um, you know, the idea that you would have a chance. Nothing was guaranteed, though. There was no right to anything. Everything was like, a, you know, it's very Republican light. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, uh, th that's 100 percent. And I think, you know, you know, I think as we go into this into this primary, uh, the 2020 primary, I, I actually think that what's going on, the dynamics of what's happening, there are some candidates who seem to appreciate the dynamics and there are other candidates who don't. And, and my take is that I think the idea, like there was a quote from a guy who has, I, guess, I think, you know, promoted Beto's candidacy. It was in Newsweek and he, he said, you know, Beto is, Beto is less ideological and he's more of a young Joe Biden right. and he's going to, you know, he's going he's gonna to run on his charisma and, you know, he won't be a hero of the Sanders wing. Right. And, and to me, just as... as you know, uh, politically, like the, the politics of that, I think that just completely misreads the room. I think if you want to really take on Bernie Sanders, mm. if you're running a campaign, what, you basically say, I support almost everything that Bernie supports. Bernie's great. I like Bernie. Right. Uh, I, I like his agenda, but it's, but you know, I'm a little bit different in this or right. that way. That, that you, that, 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 it would be an effective strategy, sure, that'd be strategic, uh, against Bernie. Right. So, saying, you know, I I'm different than Bernie. Bernie's bad. Like, I don't think that's going right. to work. But like, I think that's honest, think, at least. Like, I think, I mean, I don't. Yes, right, I that's agree. an honest assessment of what they're doing, of what he's I, doing, I, whether or not it's it's a good idea, right? That I totally agree. Yeah, I, I totally agree that that it is. If they want to draw lines like that, you know, I'm over here. I'm the pro-business, pro-corporate establishment, uh, a centrist, if you will, and and I am I do not represent uh, the the uh, the agenda of Bernie Sanders. Yes, that is honest. Right. I think what you're going to see are people like Cory Booker, right? Uh, who I think are going to say, I you know I'm basically Bernie. I'm just a younger sure. version right. of Bernie. Right. And I think I think that's a whole sure. Different that's totally thing. yeah. And I mean it's also so it's it's honest and like it's unfortunate to do that, but it's it would it's on it would be honest to say that, but also I think it's honest of the well where is it the New Yorker that um. Uh, yes. Like it's an honest assessment of it, right? So it would be honest for Sa for Beto to say that, and it's also an honest description of it, as opposed to the other description, which is that he's getting smeared, right? Um, which we can talk about because I would like to ask you about how that happened. Um, oh, the you mean the the whole Be Beto is getting smeared and by, it's not yeah, fair, and, you're, and, and you he's really under are attack. one of the you're like the you're like the Fidel Castro, and I feel like right now I'm being like. Not even a Che Guevara. I don't want to, you know, give myself that much credit. I'm just one of the of the members of the of the uh, Cuban, you know, guerrilla warfare practicing people. But uh, yeah, you really are, you know, uh, you're you're being presented as at the forefront of this. So can you tell us how you, um, uh, you if could you reveal some of your your guerrilla warfare tactics? 
how, how yeah, this started. I mean, it, I'm being it's so it's yeah. so strange to me that you know. Look, this all started I, with a tweet, I, right? That's how I mean. This all started with a tweet, and I, we'll go through that whole sure. story. But I want to be only just full disclosure yeah. here, because people have made a, a, an issue of this, even though it's right on my biography on my website. Right. I worked for Bernie Sanders right. 19 years ago as yeah. a 23-year-old right out of college. Uh, I worked for him for, I think it was two years, might have been a little less than two years. And then I worked for House Democrats. And then I worked, I uh, was the third employee at the Center for American Progress. And That's I want really everybody funny. to, yeah. it, it is. And I want everyone to keep this in their mind. Yes, I worked for Bernie Sanders 19 years yeah. ago for roughly two years, and I worked uh, after that and for a longer period of time for the Center for American Progress and for House Democrats. I just want everyone right. to keep that in mind because, you know, what, what's been thrown at me f- from doing all of this reporting is that, oh, you're just, you know, you're Bernie's spokesperson. Right. I mean, I and guess I'm Bernie's... can you just Bernie's, clarify that, w- just to clarify, the Center for American Progress is the think tank you were referring to earlier, and it's the think tank of which Neera Tandon is head and yeah and the, yeah. all the clinton people right, so basically right. my career when i worked for bernie right out of college then i worked for house democrats then i worked for basically uh the clinton think tank okay yeah. so that, that that's all that's fact trajectory, yeah and so i mean if you're going to call me a, a you know your bernie sanders spokesperson like well am i house democrat spokesperson right. from from 15 years ago and am, am i you know clinton world spokesperson right. from from 14 years ago like right. so so i just it's important for everyone to understand that context i have worked on many sides of the Democratic Party before I became a journalist. Yeah. So what happened in this situation was, um, I do a lot of reporting on on politicians' voting records and where they get their money. Uh, I've won a, a number of journalism awards for that kind of reporting, uh, particularly that kind of reporting on Republicans. Yeah, David, uh, what Chris, was that? I love that tweet. Someone was like, "Have you ever done anything on Republicans?" And you, what did you link to some like award winning? Yes, I just won an award <laughs> this year from the Society of American Business Editors and Writers for my reporting on the Republican tax bill, which became known as the Corker Kickback. Right. I, I mean that Slightly that like just major story. happened. You may have heard of this. That. Yeah. year right okay so that's the kind of reporting i do and sometimes i look at democrats yeah. so what ended up happening was i was working on a story about um the fossil fuel industry and how it uh, throws money to all different kinds of candidates and i came upon the center for responsive politics's website now anybody who's a reporter in washington uh or who follows the money knows that the Center for Responsive Politics is literally the gold standard of campaign finance data. That's where everybody, you can Google it, New York Times, that's where everyone gets their the campaign finance data because they do a good job of aggregating the data by industry. So it's a Sunday and I am looking at oil and gas money because I'm working on a completely separate story. And I noticed that Beto O'Rourke was the number two recipient of money from donors in the oil and gas industry, donors above $200. And I tweeted out a very innocuous tweet that said something I did not know. Beto O'Rourke was the number two recipient of money from donors in the oil and gas industry. And that tweet sat out there, not not particularly interesting, didn't follow it up, didn't make a comment, didn't say like, oh, he's an oil shill, right. or he's, you know, bought a, that's it. Like, I just thought, I mean, I just thought it was notable in the era of climate change, when there are people pushing politicians to take absolutely no money from the fossil fuel industry. 
I thought that was an interesting thing. Made no comment at all. Tweet sits out there for three days. Nobody cared oh, about it. Days, wasn't what wasn't, yeah. wasn't? I think it's was two or three days. What wasn't that interesting? Then suddenly, Neera Tanden tweets it out, say, "Oh, look, saying, oh look, here's a Democrat attacking another Democrat." Um, Essentially, you know, this is bad and this is dishonest because the money came from individuals and it didn't come uh, from uh, PACs because Beto has sworn off uh, PAC money. That's okay. So it's definitely true that that money is not PAC money. I didn't say it was PAC money. Uh, There is, though, a a push by various environmental groups to uh, ask politicians not to take any money from not only PACs in the oil and gas industry, but also executives in the oil and gas industry. But I was then, you know, I was portrayed as some sort of horrible villain dividing the Democratic Party for tweeting. And you can go look this up on Twitter. It was one tweet, one, that that all it said was, I didn't, you know, I didn't know this. And it became this huge controversy and, you know, people freaking out. And you know, I mean, David Simon of the creator of The right. Wire has been tweeting literally nonstop for four days about this tweet. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't really understand that. Yeah. But the I point is there was an yeah. epic freak out. Right. And then Alex Koch at Sludge, which is the investigative reporting outlet, went and, you know, he got interested and he said, well, I don't understand why this is a big deal. He went and did a story and found actually, you know, a lot of this money uh, or at least a certain you know, not insubstantial amount of this money came in the form of max donations, $2,700 a piece or above $1,000 from top level people in the oil and gas industry. And what do you know? Beto O'Rourke signed the no fossil fuel money pledge and the no fossil fuel money pledge says, I will not take money from oil and fossil fuel related PACs or executives in the fossil fuel industry. So Beto O'Rourke broke his fossil fuel money no fossil fuel money pledge and was taken off the website of the, of the pledge. Now, is that the biggest story in the world? No, it's not the biggest story in the world. Does that mean Beto O'Rourke is automatically a, you know, a shill for right. the oil and gas industry? No, it, that, that, that doesn't mean that. Does it mean that it's an important story that uh, campaign finance reporters should report on? Yes, it does. Right. Yes, that's an important newsworthy story. Right. So it's a bit of a self own to use internet speak, but it's a bit self-incriminating when you're very upset that someone you're defending has his policy discussed. Like, that's not, you shouldn't openly be upset about that. Do you know what I mean? That, like, a policy or, vote or whatever, record, record, right? This is not a smear. This is not about how many, you know, like one of those ridiculous smears against Sanders for like having three houses, which is hilarious because every single senator has two houses and his wife like inherited some like, like, you know, like for Stunkina house and wherever. Um, this is something about something relevant that they would all this use. Is F- against, this is FEC right. data. Yes, exactly. This is like literally like why do like ask yourself this question. Why do we have campaign finance disclosure reports? What's the actual point of the laws that say we should have campaign finance reports that force a disclosure that doesn't allow someone just to get a giant check of money and not disclose anything? The whole point of these laws is so that we, the public, and including reporters, can look at the money, see who's funding campaigns, and report on it. Right. it th- that's why they exist. So all of this was pretext for what happened next. So in the middle of this, I started taking a look 
at Beto O'Rourke's voting record because I, you know, he's gotten a lot of hype and he ran a great campaign in Texas yeah. and almost won yeah. and, and and it was a really inspiring campaign and and so I started poking around. I said, well, you know, if this guy is going to run for president, I'm interested in you know looking at what he represents. Why do you hate Democrats so much, David? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Right, that, that's the question. Is that so? I started I started looking at his voting record, and there was a not insubstantial amount of times that he has cast votes against the majority of his party in the House. Right. So I started then, I, I peeled it back another layer. Let's take a look specifically at economic issues and where he has come down on economic issues. What Not just, because there's been a, there's been some reporting, to be clear, about, you know, Beto votes uh, this percentage of the time with his party or that percentage of the time, liberal or conservative. And, and I think those kinds of metrics, frankly, just on their face are, are kind of bullshit because it doesn't tell you what the actual votes are, right? right. Because if you're only evaluating somebody, uh, you know, where is he on the liberal and conservative scale of his votes? Well, liberal and conservative are, are, are subjective sure. terms, right? So it's, I, that doesn't mean much. Where, where was he on, uh, you know, how frequently did he break with his party? Uh, that stat unto itself doesn't sure, tell right. you all that right. much. It could have been on the TPP. Party is, Right. If it were exactly. on TPP, it would have been. Yeah. So what I did was I then did a story specifically on the on the economic policy votes that Beto O'Rourke cast and broke with the majority of House Democrats. That was the metric that we used. And what we found was that he frequently voted with Republicans against the majority of his party for bills to deregulate Wall Street. He voted for some bills to chip away at the Affordable Care Act. He voted at one point uh, for a key portion of Donald Trump's deportation force. Uh, he uh, voted to uh, he voted to and he co-sponsored a bill to uh, essentially rescind or at least weaken the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's rules uh, fighting racial discrimination in lending. He supported uh, two Republican bills that President Obama's White House uh, slammed and threatened to veto. Wow. So this was our story. Yeah. Our, our story was about these votes, and we did the granular details of these votes, and, and we included quotes from Democrats House Democrats on the floor of the House arguing wh why these bills, these Republican bills, should be voted down, begging lawmakers like uh, Beto O'Rourke to not vote for these Republican bills. And what came out of this was that a, mo a lot of these votes were votes not progressive dissents sure. uh, 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 breaking with the party. They were not, uh, th these votes were not the equivalent of Barbara Lee uh, voting against uh, the Afghanistan right. uh, war in the minority of her party. Right. I mean, he had, uh, on economic issues, many of these votes from Beto O'Rourke were Beto O'Rourke voting to help the Republicans pass the Republican uh, economic agenda. And we reported that out. So that's all, you know, context for. We reported that out, and it was like I had, I mean, literally, NBC News reported it yesterday as, you know, this is a, quote, war right. on Beto O'Rourke for a journalist to publish uh, to publish this. And my take, my, my view is this is exactly what journalism is supposed to be. Right. Like, when I went to journalism school, the the idea you were taught by you know, this is now what 20 
four years ago, you know, you go to the city council meeting, you go to the right. state legislature, you go to Congress, you see how they vote, you read the congressional record, you take hours and hours to dive into the esoteric language of bills, and then you report the story. I mean, the story we did on Beto took me a, a long time. It took a lot of work to really get into all those those financial bills and the like. This is basic journalism. And, and, and something I said on Twitter, which I think is important, is that when we presented this bill, or excuse me, this, the, the, this report, people said, oh, this is an attack on Beto. You're attacking him. This is, you know, unfair. You're unfairly, you know, maligning him. Right. And, I, and, and at one point I said, look, you could easily look at this record and say, look, you could make an argument. This is a pro-business, pro-corporate, uh, uh, moderate Democrat who will appeal sure. to business leaders right. and affluent voters. Right. That you could you could look at the and voting say, and, he'll and, make that and that'll be effective in running against Trump, whatever. Exactly, yeah. you could you could make that argument. I, I don't think that's a particularly good argument. Right. But you, you could you could make that argument. So the point is, is that if you inherently see somebody's votes and and quotes from the congressional record as negative as an attack, what you are saying is that you think these votes inherently. Are bad, right? And if you are saying you think these votes are inherently bad, then you are saying that they are inherently newsworthy, right? And you are yeah. essentially saying that they are inherently something that voters in a democracy, where voters should be informed, voters should know about this. So the right, notion exactly. that it is some sort of horrible attack to report on a lawmaker's voting record is, as a journalist, forget about you know my own views on issues and the like. As a just as a journalist, as as actually just a citizen in a democracy, that is an offensive notion to me. Yeah. Well, it's also so funny because if they were cl smart about this and if they if someone like Neera Tandon and I'm going to get in trouble because Neera Tandon is a woman and she's of color, but she happens to be the head of this think tank. And to me, like, I'm not going to not discuss someone because they're of certain demographics, because that's actually really infantilizing and um essentializing anyway with that caveat um uh and i of course i criticize straight white men all the time but what's so silly about this is that as you were saying if you're upset at someone for reporting on the facts you're the one who's actually indicting the person not i mean indicting the person who's being reported on right like their argument is like how dare you report on the reality of this person that, that's right. And, and I think I think what it what it really speaks to is something very sad about our politics, which is that which there's an authoritarian tendency yeah. to our politics. I mean, I do think that there are a lot of people out there on both the right and 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 in the Democratic Party who just want a coronation. Right. I mean, they, they don't they don't they don't necessarily believe in the basic fundamentals of democracy. Right. One of the basic fundamentals of democracy is that there are contested primaries. Right. Candidates go back and forth, and they debate their uh, their their policies, and they debate their records. And this is healthy. This is right. this is a healthy discourse. And I think there are a lot of people who buy into the argument that it would be better if we just uh, appointed two nominees, had the two nominees run against each other, and that would be it. I just, I just fundamentally, if I have an ideology, it is the, uh, my, I am ideologically opposed to the idea that we must coronate uh, candidates sure. and just have uncontested elections where we don't, we don't debate the issues. Right. Well, they're very, they're particularly upset because they lost their last chance at coronation. 
So they're I think they're trying to, you know, correct. Their well, record. yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think that they're terrified of of scrutiny. I mean, right. I think it's I think it's they're they're terrified of they're they're terrified of 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 what's right. going to be revealed. Well, and also they're just so bitter because they were so openly. I mean, it was just funny, like you're saying, it's it's they were, you know, maligning Sanders for running against Hillary Clinton, like in terms of car, like they their coronation process was disrupted by democracy. And so I think they don't want that to happen again. But I think what's so interesting is that these people are so out of touch and so entitled and so used to having the media co-sign them and support their narratives that they don't even realize what they're revealing about themselves and about their candidates. Again, like I just can't get over it. Like they're mad at you for reporting on his record, reporting on his donations, right? They're not, it's not like they can say you're picking on him because you're interviewing a, someone who hates him or you're showing that he uh, sent his kid to private school or whatever thing, you know, somewhat personal things that you could politicize. But these are just things that everyone is supposed to look at and know about. I mean, I think that's a really excellent point and I hadn't thought of it that way, which is, which is correct, which is, had I gone to El Paso and interviewed everybody who hates Beto O'Rourke and written a story right. just airing out sort of that kind of, you know, effectively dirty laundry, like that, you know, you could argue that's, you know, I mean, I'm not saying people shouldn't do sure, that. But it's you know, a different category. I think that, 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 I'm looking at the congressional record. <laughs> right. I'm like, right. li- like, and I go back to that point that I made, like, why do we have a congressional record? Right. Like, it's like, why do we have campaign finance laws? We have the congressional record. The whole point of it is so people can look at it and see how people voted and see the debate and see what happened. Right. That's that's the whole point. Now, I will mention that after publishing this story, I also then did a follow-up opinion piece, mm-hmm. which the 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 story on the votes was just a straight story on the votes. Then I did an opinion column where I it was kind of a news analysis. So this is at, so my, this is at the Guardian, or at the yeah. Guardian, yeah, where, where I offered up some some of my own views about the twenty twenty race. And what I said was, and I believe this, uh, and I'll t- and let me explain why I believe it. I believe that the Democrats have a very good chance to win in twenty twenty, and that that is a a historic opportunity. Uh, and because Donald Trump is so unpopular, and I also think because people are are genuinely pretty sick of Republican politics, mm-hmm. and rightly so. And I think, but I also think that if the Democratic Party uses the 2020 election, uses that huge opportunity of the 2020 election to elect somebody who replicates the policies and record of President Obama, that. Lots and lots of people are going to die and suffer. Oh, right. There's now, that and, too, yeah. And, and, and I know that sounds like hyperbole, but hear me out. A good example of this is the fact that – can you hang on one sure. second? My, my son is playing the piano. I don't want it to <laughs> okay. ruin the uh... – You're like, I'm making this point for you so you can survive and you can have kids and have a planet. The yeah, least yeah. you could do is not play piano. It's like David Sirota's son uh, composes anti Beto song on the piano in real time. Yeah. I believe that if Democrats use the opportunity, the huge opportunity of the 2020 election to elect a president who replicates the record of Barack Obama, that many people will uh, die and suffer. And I know that that sounds like a total overstatement. But here is the deal. 
let's a good example of what I'm talking about. Let's use uh, climate right. change. President Obama recently bragged about how under his administration, oil production was boosted to record levels. He said, that was me. He bragged about it. He wants credit for it. Climate science is telling us that if the next Democratic president continues that kind of policy, many, many people will die. That is what science is telling us. So I wrote this article looking at Beto's voting record on some of these issues, this, this column, uh, looking at some of, of, of his votes, looking at the Obama presidency. And I basically made the argument that if we elect somebody uh, who, is, uh, who represents that agenda, that would be a tragedy unto itself, that, we, that the Democrats have to use this opportunity in 2020 to elect somebody who is willing to challenge corporate power, who is willing to say that we cannot have a multi-billion dollar Exxon Mobil continuing to produce what it produces and also have a livable planet, that we cannot have a humane health care policy and private health insurance companies making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in profit, that we cannot have a Wall Street that eviscerates industries and also have uh, sustainable wages and a sustainable economy for most workers. That all of these things are in conflict and that we actually need a president and a political leadership that is willing to take sides and say that there is no third way. Right. So I published that. And, you know, people freaked out that, oh, you know, you're you're attacking Barack Obama. How dare you attack Barack Obama? You know, it's bad politics to attack Barack right. Obama. You're attacking Beto O'Rourke. Look, it's I'm talking about climate science here. Right. I'm talking about basic facts. I'm like and, and I, I said recently, you know, about how do how do we think about this? What's the right metaphor? If climate change is a meteor. Yeah. Headed towards Earth then we have an obligation right now to look at whether presidential candidates have voted to accelerate the meteor or voted to try to stop right. the meteor. We have an obligation now to, to do what we can to elect a president who is serious about stopping the meteor. And I don't care which candidate wins for president, which particular candidate wins for president, it's Bernie or it's Elizabeth Warren or Sherrod Brown or right. any of these other people. My goal as a as a journalist and as a as a person on on, you know, who, who has children right. and who lives on planet Earth is that we elect somebody who is serious about dealing with these crises and is not afraid to stand against the corporate forces that have created these crises. Right. And just to clarify, David is saying meteor. He's not saying the like he's not using the Sanders Jewish accent where you put the R on the end of a word. He's not saying media. <laughs> Uh, he's saying meteor, as in the object. Yeah, that's the right. Thing, that's yeah. exactly right. The meteor, yeah. asteroid. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, yeah. But maybe you, maybe you have a real. Uh, do you do you have a planet bias? Do you have a pro-human survival bias? <laughs> yes. Yes. Reveal? Apparently. Yeah. I, I'm. I. I will admit, I am uh, anti-mass extinction. Yeah. And I am. I am pro-ecosystem that supports human life. 
And you claim to be you claim to be at all objective. Uh, it's really a tragedy. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. I'm so, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so biased. <laughs> and to hear the rest of my interview with David Sirota, please go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Sirota is an award-winning journalist and best-selling author living in Denver, Colorado. He's an investigative reporter for the nonprofit Capital and Maine, and he's a columnist at The Guardian. He's a two-time winner of the Best in Business Award from the Society for American Business Editors and Writers. In 2014, Sirota won Ithaca College's Izzy Award for Journalism, was a finalist for UCLA's Gerald R. Loeb Award for Financial Journalism, and was a finalist for Syracuse University's Mirror Award for Journalism. Thanks so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. You can hear The Katie Halper Show on iTunes. Please rate and review us. You can also find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. I'm KT Halps. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. My co-host Gabe Pacheco is Gabe underscore Pacheco. Use the hashtag KT Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. You can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show, where you will find bonus interviews and extended interviews. Coming up is a bonus interview with none other than Glenn Greenwald. Also, we released a great bonus interview with Naomi Klein. Thanks so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. We will see you next week. <laughs>